forward to seeing what we can put together today. It's the first podcast yes, for, for NACO. Yes, sir. So, Let's uh, give this just a couple seconds here. It says it's loading on my end. Okay. Okay, cool. Yeah, we should uh, we should be live. Um, and you know, this is the first of, of many. So we're, we're trying out a number of different things. Um, you know, what if we have one or two people join us? Awesome. But uh, overall, welcome anybody that sees this. Um, this is obviously the the official uh, start of what we're calling NACO, uh, which stands for National Association of co living operators. And it's just meant to bring people like myself, like Frank, like you guys all together. Um, to effectively do more and uh, really, I mean, overarching, uh, effectively uh, address the affordability issue in a way that really makes sense for you guys, ourselves, investors, and really make it a win-win um, overall. And so really just looking to, to collaborate. And uh, yeah, I'm sure we'll dive into more of the purpose here. But yeah, Frank, if you want to um, start with introducing yourself, um, letting us, everyone know kind of where you're coming from, how we've landed here. And then I'm happy to do the same. We can kick this off. We'll dive into, you know, today's topic. Yeah, sure. Thanks, Reed. So I am a real estate wholesaler and I specialize in, well, my name is Frank Bell and I work with my company's name is Evelocity Properties and I'm a real estate wholesaler and I specialize in uh, subject to transactions and um, with a focus on cash flow oriented exit strategies. And so I have begun to get a good deal flow within my wholesaling operation. And, and I have become infatuated with the idea of co-living as an exit strategy and the cash flow that it provisions. And I've come into contact with uh, Reed here and Reed and I uh, have you know, in our excitement for the co-living space and the synergy that we find with, you know, uh, wholesaling acquisition oriented uh, strategies that, that pair perfectly well with it. Um, we, we felt it would be prudent for us to create an organization. And that's where we are today. This is our first discussion. We were actually at a investment conference in Houston, Texas together. And, uh, we came up with the idea together and decided to, to deploy it. And here we are. And so that's basically it. And Reed, maybe you can introduce that's yourself it. as well. Yeah, absolutely. And just to, to piggyback on, you know, the back of everything to there. Um, so Frank, just to reiterate, he's, uh, in, you know, maybe more humble than what I'll, I'll, I'll uh, you know, give to him. But he's, a, he's a top 1% wholesaler. He knows how to not just wholesale deals uh, from a cash perspective, but, like he was talking about specializing in subject to seller financing, uh, you name it. And he's a killer. He's, you know, he's definitely a top one percenter when it comes to wholesaling. And then, yeah, obviously my name is Reed Clanahan. I've been in and around real estate for several years, uh, just in the past uh, four or five years, though, been more interested in co-living uh, where I originally started by getting my first house living in the master, renting out the bedrooms, uh, you know, furnishing it, doing all the things. And that became my model. And one turned into two, two to four, four to eight and so on. And, you know, I, I should be closing on my 15th, 16th, 16th property um, tomorrow. Uh, so Monday. And so, you know, obviously you learn a lot going through something like that. You learn a lot 
doing it in places like Phoenix, uh, Houston, Dallas, Fort Worth, and uh, being able to like add scale, um, you know, to be able to support all those different areas. And so, yeah, the long and short of it is Frank's doing great volume himself. We're, we're looking at how we can just team up to get more deals over the finish line. And, you know, one of the things that we're realizing is the opportunity is so big that we are definitely going to need uh, the help of other operators in order to really address the, uh, like the, the size and scope of the opportunity that we really feel is at hand here. So um, I can jump into the next topic, but anything else you want to add there, Frank? I think just in general, the, the whole purpose of creating NACO, as I see it, is to provision, you know, good value based on our experience, right? And, and to help and to provision, and to provision a place for we, where we can network with other folks that are like-minded um, and that have similar goals and, that, and to show how they, could, how they could find a place in this space, whether it be as an operator like Reed is or a wholesaler like I am. Um, or many other aspects that you can provision value in this space. There's transaction coordinators, you know, there's lots of other roles that one can play uh, in this space. I would say that, you know, ultimately the, the, this, this association that we're creating is basically to attract and to train and to provision free information for operators and wholesalers primarily but also as a, as a meeting place where they can meet, you know, other, other folks that could help assist them in these roles. Like for example, I'd be having a good transaction coordinator is another aspect that should not be taken lightly, for example. hundred percent. And I think, you know, as we get started, just telling the story about how, you know, how I started as a wholesaler and how Reed started as a, as an operator and, you know, what it is that we think that, separates ourselves and our trajectories from those that are less successful or have less bandwidth for deal flow. Um, and, and to help, help, you know, it's, it's our goal to find and isolate, you know, other folks that are like us that operate at our level. Right. And so we want to help you get there if it's something you desire to do. And I think the, the main focus of our content is to provision uh, basically free value uh, in hopes of attracting the upper echelon of, of operators and wholesalers into this space. I think that in the, in the years to come in the, in the, in the short to midterm, especially as this real estate market shifts, the co-living space is absolutely um, the best and most underserved aspect of the market and also the most resilient to any market shifts that might occur um, and like, as, as, as Reed and I often say, the price really doesn't matter to us as long as it cash flows. And so, um, we buy properties focusing on cash flows, um, and we control debt at low interest rates. And in that way, we have less concern about where the market's going. And we're just really concerned about accumulating, uh, portfolios where we control debt at low interest and, and lease it out uh, by uh, by section by taking sections of this property by the room and 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 leasing it out as a co-living environment. Absolutely, absolutely, and um, that that actually is a great segue to just talk about co-living on the whole. 
So obviously co-living can extend beyond just how Frank and I are, are talking about it. You know, we're going to talk about it more in the niche of by the bedroom rentals. Uh, my specific niche is I, I rent to young working males, you know, so men, 20s and 30s, generally speaking. I don't do pets or kids or couples. Um, I love the, you know, the guy that's first sales job out of college, uh, you know, maybe guy just uh, transferred to a, a new location for his job and is trying to figure out the city before he really commits for super long term. Uh, I love military. Um, and so, you know, that just happens to be the segment that, you know, we particularly uh, focus on, generally speaking. Um, but obviously, co-living on the whole uh, is really going to be anywhere that, you know, Frank was mentioning. It's like where it really cash flows and makes sense. You know, um, you know, I don't particularly specialize in, you know, let's just say assisted living or uh, a halfway house um, or anything like that. And there's plenty of people that specialize in that. And that is uh, their niche and they do really great with it. Uh, but we like to we like for co-living to extend on the whole to um, really properties that make sense and um, and that that really cash flow. And just to give you an idea of the way that I look at it, um, each of the per bedroom rent price um, I, I typically say, you know, is about 65 to 70 percent of what like a standard one studio bedroom apartment would go for in the area. So you start to multiply that times four times five uh, and a lot of pad split situations times like seven, nine, you know, who knows. Um, but, you know, I like I like the four four twos and to be able to convert them to, you know, five, maybe a six, two or three um, if I'm getting really ambitious with it. And um, we'll, we'll dive more into the actual uh, buy box um, here in a minute. But before we kind of shift into that, Frank, is there anything you want to add to like what co-living is and how you would define co-living? Well, I mean, co-living is basically taking a property and breaking it down and leasing out different pieces of it for various reasons, right? It could be just like Reed does for you know, a shared bed, uh, a share, uh, uh, renting out it by the bedroom and his niche, it's all men. Uh, it could be for like a, you know, a halfway house for alcoholics as they're transitioning in the recovery. It could be assisted living for old folks that need, you know, a room to stay and need somebody to take care of them in that home. Um, it could be a home for veterans. It could be a home for, for women, right? It could be a home for a lot of different things in different ways, but ultimately co-living is offering a house that's been broken down into smaller pieces and renting them out. Right. And so, you know, without getting into politics or going too far down a rabbit hole, I'm of the opinion that the, there's going to be a growing uh, sector of the economy that fits in, within this profile. Right. Uh, folks that are going to need for various reasons uh, to rent a room in, in various contexts. Right. And so because we're able to take properties, Reed and I take properties that don't necessarily cash flow as a long-term rental and aren't really desirable as a short-term rental um, that maybe we can, we can control the debt at a low interest rate, but they're not necessarily in today's climate desirable as, as a regular rental property with, with our creative, with a creative mindset, we're able to take those properties and cash flow them tremendously. Um, I mean, just to use, just to use an example, uh, read the property you bought from me last month in Conroe, 
um, that didn't cash flow as a long-term rental, did it? I can't remember. I don't think it did. No, it didn't cash flow as a long long-term rental and maybe a little bit further out to really uh, demand the type of rental rate that you would need to make it cash flow as a long-term rental. But what we found is that like with co-living, it's like if something's 70% of what someone's going to pay for that monthly price, they're willing to make that concession, right? To maybe drive a little bit further, whatever else. And, you know, to Frank's point, the segment of the population that needs affordable housing at the same time, this is these are 2019, 2020s, 2021 homes. Um, a lot of these, it's just, it's way nicer housing than they're ever going to get for eight, 900, you know, a thousand bucks, like really anywhere else, uh, especially as rents continue to come up. So, what do you say we dive deep into the buy box read? I think that, that would be like, if I was sitting and I was watching this, this uh, podcast or whatever you want to call it, um, that I would want to know like, okay, what are you guys buying? What is the profile? How are you buying it? Right. That's the first yeah. question I would ask. Right. And so as a wholesaler, it's my job to isolate, to identify, to analyze and to contract properties that have upside potential. And ha having decided that I want to specialize in the, in the rent by room co-living space primarily, uh, I would say that I can define that buy box very cleanly. And that is basically loans that were originated between 2018 and the end of 2021 that have interest rates that are below 5%. These are typically FHA and VA loans, although there are some conventional loans that fit within this category. And generally what we look for is properties that are either three bedroom, two bath or above. In other words, a four, two or a four, three. And the, the, the real sweet spot is those properties that don't have an HOA or have an HOA that's not funded very well where they don't have a lot of funds to go after, you know, complaints. And generally what we do is we take these, uh, these properties over subject to. And so, you know, what does that mean? It means we, we take over their payments, not through an assumption, but basically by taking the deed to the property into generally a trust that we, that we, that we hold and leaving the, the debt in the seller's name. Right. Um, most of these properties are distressed for whatever reason, whether it be a pre foreclosure or a divorce. Um, it could be an expired listing uh, or a number of other things. But I would say the, the majority of the deals that we do fall into primarily pre foreclosure, divorce, uh, expired listing. And most of them have very little equity in them. Right. So we're, look, we're generally looking from a wholesaling perspective. It's, it's kind of interesting coming. You know, I've been wholesaling for a number of years now. And it's always been about the equity, right? Well, things have changed and now it's about the debt. And the equity is no longer of, of very much interest in a cash flow from a cash flowing perspective. Not to say we don't often get properties that have good equity in them. It's just that we find that some of the newer construction deals that are really desirable to, to, to own and control, they just don't have equity in them, right? They don't just by, by their very nature, they don't have much equity in them. So to kind of come back full circle again, we're generally looking for properties that were, that are like about 10, 10 years or newer, say, let's say 2010 or newer that are, that have been well-kept that their loans were originated the last time between 2018 and the end of 2021 or early 2022. They have interest rates that are below 5%, generally FHA, VHA loans, uh, ideally a four, three or a four, two or three, two will also work. 
and the and the perfect ones are the ones that don't have an HOA. Absolutely. So a couple of, a couple of really good um, kind of things I'd like to piggyback on there would be, so that, that is generally our buy box. That's our best case scenario. It's a newer home. So your, your maintenance costs are going to be a lot less. It's not to say that, you know, Frank and I wouldn't look at like an owner finance home. Obviously owner financing is great when you can get it. We can, we can make, you know, market rates or below market rates work with this model uh we just we really ideally wanted to pencil out as a long-term rental so an ltr or very very close to uh in order for that to happen and then the other piece of it uh would just be if we are looking at getting a slightly older home than that looking for seller financing maybe it's a tired landlord they own it outright they're willing to accept amount certain amount of money down hold it for a decent interest rate uh the point being on those types of scenarios at least what i look for because i'm not trying to be HGTV fix, you know, fix and flipper, you know, I'm not trying to flip uh, right now. I don't think things really make sense to flip right now either way. But uh, my, my point being is uh, even if we have a slightly older home, I want all the major big ticket items to be taken care of the roof, the plumbing's not in bad shape, uh, the foundation, you know, and you can get warranties on foundation, but like anything that could be more than like a $10,000 fix, um, you know, ideally want to go ahead and, uh, steer away from those. And so ideally I'm looking for turnkey, um, you know, uh, replacing a little bit of carpet, a little bit of paint is fine. And then, you know, anything else, actually, Frank, you want to dive into before I kind of jump into, okay, me as the buyer on the other end, what does that side of it look like? And uh, from there, or anything else you want to add as far as the buy? Well, I'll just goes? say that yeah, it's, it's not that we can't put a deal together that's older construction than say 2015 or 2010 or somewhere in that change. It's just that it tends to be a better match that, that it's, it's, it's energy better spent from an acquisition standpoint. It's, it's a deal harder to cut because they have more equity, right? And you're having to create a more complex deal because you have to take sub two on the first lien, create a second carry seller carry back, which is a hard thing to communicate to a seller and not only that, you're you're really having to go in and take a look at the house closer because it's older. It's an older construction house. How old is the roof? You know, how old is the AC unit? Like there's there's just typically a lot more rehab that's involved, which really throws off the cash on cash returns for for a guy like Reed. Right. That's going in and buying a house. He's got acquisition costs, you know, buying through me. And then post acquisition, he's got to go put in new carpet or paint the walls or maybe put on a roof. And then, you know, moving forward, if it's an older property, it's got a higher likelihood of needing to replace that roof or the AC unit and have a big ticket item that needs to get done. Right. And so what I found from a wholesaling perspective is not only is it easier to cut the deals when they have very little to no equity and their newer construction, but guys like Reed tend to like them more. And so what I would say, if I was going to make a suggestion to a new wholesaler or somebody that is looking to get more involved in these, you know, cash flow based co-living deals is to really focus on newer construction, like say 2010 or newer, or even 2015 and newer, but I will go back to say 2010 and, uh, and loans that were originated over the last three years. I mean, that's, that's a really, or four years at this point, but, um, but that if focusing on that niche, you'll find uh, a bigger return on the investment of energy that you put into it. A hundred percent, hundred percent. So, um, so what, obviously what we walk you through is the buy box. So identifying, is this a yes or a no for us? Right. 
And then, you know, Frank has it as a yes. He contracts it. You know, he puts in his fee. He's assigning it to a guy like me. And, you know, effectively, I'm ideally into these deals for 25 to 35,000, ideally, including closing costs. Um, and then someone like me, if I can do it with my own money or I can go and raise the money, I mean, that's kind of what real estate's about, right, is, is, is OPM, uh, you know, other people's money. And, you know, what is so great about it is, you know, as an operator, I'm, I'm uniquely positioned to be, you know, the, the other half the deal that wouldn't occur um, otherwise. Um, and, you know, so that being said, you know, if, if let's just say a, for easy numbers is 25 or 30,000 that, you know, he contracts the deal uh, to me at total and that's closing costs. Maybe there's cash to sell or if there's a realtor involved, Frank has his fee, um, you know, it's arrears. You got to catch up the, the payments, whatever it is. Um, you know, that's, that's, that's perfectly, perfectly good for me, but then I, I need to go raise about twice that. So I need to go raise about 55 or 60,000 in order to do some of the renovation in order to have three months of holding costs in order to, um, you know, furnish the place in order to, uh, make it worth my time, you know? So I'm, I'm going to go ahead and raise that 60,000 and I'll raise it one of two ways. And, uh, really that's going to depend on how far out the timeline is on, uh, needing to close that deal. Uh, as well as, you know, the type of relationship that I have with that person that wants to be the financial partner on that particular deal with me. So um, my best case scenario is if I can take it as private money and then it's secured by the real estate, hopefully there's enough equity, especially after I do build out where it's like secured by the real estate where the lender can feel good. Um, anywhere from 12 to 14% generally. It's a second lien position note. I, I don't do it as amortized. I do it as an interest only, again, secured by the real estate, paid out in three years. Uh, and I'm perfectly I'm perfectly good with that because I own 100% of the property. That's what I prefer. Um, and so on a $60,000 note, call it you know, 700, 750 uh, that you're having to, to pay on top of the mortgage as far as your total carrying cost for that particular deal. Another scenario, uh, not debt, I would be more equity, right? And so I've gone up as high as like doing a 50-50 on equity. You know, they know that the equity uh, investor knows that they're not going to cash flow until we get to that month three, which is, you know, what I, what I build out in the pro forma as far as uh, stabilizing it. You know, ideally it's, you know, break even month one, cash flowing a little bit month two, but really build up month three. And again, I'm, I'm seeking out six month leases. And so, you know, you could have people that do more, that do less, that do by the, bed, uh, by the bedroom monthly rentals versus uh, a six month lease. I'm looking for more of a commitment with my current model. Um, and, you know, that being said, I'll take either one of those scenarios because what it really allows me to do is continue to add one to two deals a month. Right. And so, you know, it's for, for me and for the way I'm looking at this long term with the opportunities at hand, I'm not looking to just do one deal. I'm looking to do lots of deals because obviously the better you do, the better you do. And there's something to be said for once you get to a certain level uh, of just having economies of scale. Right. And so if you have certain handymen in certain areas, if you have certain cleaners or, or um, other tradespeople that you really like to use in certain areas, you might be able to get some sort of uh, deal when it comes to that on a monthly perspective. You know, there's obviously that. And then there's obviously just the fact that you're sheerly building up your balance sheet. If you have, you know, 20 properties on your balance sheet uh, versus one or two. If you had a, if you had something happen with a renter at one or two of those properties, that's, you know, that's obviously uh, pretty catastrophic. If you have something happen with one or two renters and, you know, 20 properties, 
um, it becomes not as big of a deal and you, you tend to sleep better at night. So uh, there's something to be said for continuing to add uh, new inventory to the market, especially at, like as Frank was saying earlier with this customer segment. Uh, just growing and us getting better at marketing all day, every day, you know? So I, I won't get too much into the marketing part. We can save a lot of that for later conversations, but the more marketing you do, the better you do as well. So again, it's, it's a butterfly effect of having, uh, you know, more, more uh, listings out there, more conversations happening out there and actually building up a client base of people that something maybe not be right, right for, you know, this month, but they're looking in November or, you know, this location didn't work for them, but Hey, I'm closing on another one on Monday, this scenario tomorrow, I'm closing one tomorrow. I already have two renters that want to see it like this coming weekend. So it's just, I don't even have it listed yet. And so it's just, you know, the better you do, the better you do. And obviously, you know, as we find more, uh, more co-living operators, it's just going to get better as far as just kind of that synergistic effect. So. Yeah. And I would say that, you know, Reed and I are going to do more of these weekly podcasts on Sundays and try to share. We'll do a lot more like talking about deals that we are doing and conducting and operating. Um, and so we can learn in real time, but we very much look forward to participating in others deals and learning from other folks that are in this network that we're creating. Um, at the end of the day, it's not just about us. We're trying to create a collaborative, a collaborative environment where, you know, we can share and grow together um, and grow, you know, in, in terms of our deal flow and our knowledge base and um, or our, our connections that we have within the industry that we can do it all, you know, and make this kind of the hub of all that activity and to make it a place where, where it grows and fosters folks that operate at an elite level so that they can then network together and provision each other value. Um, I'd like to think that Reed and I are operating at a fairly high level. I mean, we're both doing multiple deals a month on a regular basis. I mean, Reed's got, what do you got? 15 properties now, Reed, that you are managing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I'm, I'm wholesaling four or five deals a month right now. And I mean, we're, we're both making really good money at it and it's going to get better before it's getting better every month. Let's put it that way. Um, and so as a wholesaler, you know, I find it, you know, although I do own property, it's not a focus of mine. Uh, I find that when I start buying property, it takes, it takes my time away from wholesaling. Right. And, and I guess this point in my career, it's, uh, I'm focused on, my goal is to get to doing 10 deals a month. And every deal that I take down myself and manage myself is less time I have to put towards that goal. And so I'm a very, very hyper-focused person right now. And so, you know, everything that I do is geared towards wholesaling with deal flow in mind. Um, and everything that, that Reed's doing is about operating with deal flow in mind, about scaling from, you know, one or two a month to we're talking about maybe doing five or 10 deals per month. Right, Reed? And That's right. It, it it's kind of an assembly line, isn't it? Because you need to work with someone that can bring you deal flow through the acquisition side of it. And I need to work with somebody that can buy these deals and, and, and push them through to a successful, you know, operating investment. Right. So it's a very synergistic relationship with a guy like Reed and a guy like myself and Reed, you know, obviously works with many other wholesalers and I work with other operators, but at the end of the day, it's important that, 
that whoever you work with, that you work with folks that operate at a high level and distinguish themselves as, you know, is operating with integrity. And I think that standard of excellence is something we'd like to foster here as we build this association of, of operators, right, Reed? That's it. That's absolutely it. And um, yeah, we'll obviously, uh, you know, like Frank was saying, it's like, it is the best types of communities. It's not, it's not about just like the guys that started it and like, Oh, everybody, you know, talk about, you know, what they're doing, whatever else. It's like, this is meant to be something that builds up each of your businesses as well. And just gives you a home for people that are looking for the same things that are dealing for dealing with the same types of issues, whatever else. Um, and we'll obviously take whatever feedback comes in and continue to, you know, improve, uh, you know, this. So, you know, while, you know, Frank and I may be the, the hosts, so to speak, of the community. It doesn't, we're not the all end all, you know, we're looking to learn, we're looking to collaborate, we're looking to see what deals you guys have, share our deals, you know, share our, our wins, share things we maybe wish we had done differently, whatever else. Because once you start thinking that you've got it all figured out and that you know everything, you quit learning and you quit letting new information come in. And so, um, you know, I think that you know, giving, giving people a home of something that maybe we wish we had when we first started getting uh, into all of this is really the idea, um, you know, and, and obviously specifically with co-living and, you know, the opportunity that's at hand here. So, so well, anything you know, else? The, yeah, go ahead. Well, I mean, I just say that we, me and Reed were at a conference together and the idea was sparked, right. And here we are getting it going. So I'm excited to see how it evolves. Um, and I'll share, I'll share with everyone that, you know, we had the idea, uh, one evening in a conversation with some other investors and we woke up the next morning and Reed already had the logo built. <laughs> he was, he was taking, he was going to take it around with it. And so I'm very, I'm very excited to see where this goes and, and, and to see how others interact with it and, uh, and see what kind of value we can provide from it. Um, we, maybe it would be good for for folks to give feedback on things that you would like to hear about or questions that you'd like to get answered. Right. Um, or things or, you know, specific focal discussions that you, that you think it would be good for us to have on these uh, Sunday podcasts. We're going to plan on doing these every Sunday, right, Reed? That's it. So every Sunday at uh, 5 PM central. So that's, that's the plan. And, you know, as rudimentary as it may be in the beginning, it's just, we just wanted to get rolling and, you know, obviously we'll, uh, continue to evolve and, you know, adapt and, and, and get better with, um, you know, how we're doing this content and ideally, you know, bringing a handful of folks on the podcast, potentially going on others podcasts. Uh, but the idea is just to continue to improve. And then, you know, if there's any, you know, tidbits that you really got out of this or you feel like you learned something about co-living, I mean, feel free to share it out too. Um, and that's, that's kind of the idea is that like, why keep, why keep, uh, information, you know, close to the vest when, you know, as we know, real estate is a, is a team sport and it definitely takes a village. So anything else you want to add, Frank, before we conclude today? I think that's good for, I think that's enough for today. I think, uh, let's, let's just keep it rolling every Sunday. I like it. Well, uh, if you'll hang on and not jump off here, that'll help us with the recording, but, Otherwise, anybody that's seeing this, have a great week, and we will uh, we'll catch you next Sunday.